what you need to do is talk to customers and really understand, do you have a solution to a problem that they have? And would they actually give you money to use it? I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? Today, we're going to do something pretty tactical. So I want to talk about if you have an idea for something for ideally a consumer product, an e-commerce brand, a D2C, direct-to-consumer brand, you're like, okay, how do I take this idea and turn it into a seven, eight-figure business? What do you do? Well, I want to give you 22 steps on exactly what you should do. How do we even know this works, right? Who am I? What the heck am I talking about? So I've been fortunate enough to work with a decent amount of companies wherever at over 150 now, a lot of those are in this kind of D2C space. They're on Shopify, they have online websites. And we've seen some really cool success stories. Companies that have raised over 60 million bucks, ones that have been on Shark Tank, they've been on the Today Show. And so I've been taking notes, right? Seeing the ones that go to this next level of growth, exactly what they've done. And I've tried to distill it down into, you know, if I was starting something today, what I would do, right? Hence the, the name of the podcast. So I thought this would be fun just to kind of lay out the things that I'm seeing and see if you get something out of it. So here we go. The first thing, this one is obvious, but get the product right. If not, nothing else matters. You know, I've been guilty of this as well, but you have this idea and you quickly go to the name, the logo, the website, you're thinking of growth stuff. And that's important, but it is way too soon to be even doing that. What you need to do is talk to customers and really understand, do you have a solution to a problem that they have? And would they actually give you money to use it? And one way to do that is to really start to talk to customers. And so how do you actually create a product people want? Well, one thing is not to necessarily be better than what's out there, but be different, right? So one example is Adam's shoes. They're really interesting because they make shoes not in half sizes, but in quarter sizes. And they actually make different shoes for your left foot versus your right foot. Because most people actually, their feet are different sizes, which is kind of weird, but you can order like a 10 and a half for your left foot and a 10 and three fourths for your right foot. So that's one thing, be different. The second is know your persona. There's so many companies that come to us that have cool websites and cool brands, but they're really struggling. And the reason is they're trying to be everything to everybody. They don't truly know their persona and they're not trying to speak to them and add value to them. Uh, one example is a brand called Dear Cleo, where they are specifically targeting brides that are millennials and making content just for them, a price point just for them, and their traction has been insane within the first couple of years. The third thing is on how to get the product right, this one's obvious, solve a problem, right? So you have Curology, which makes personalized skincare products for people with acne and for aging skin. That is a very clear problem, and they're trying to tackle it by making it personalized, and that's why their valuation is the insane number that it is. Okay, the second thing, you made the right product. Second, you need to launch your brand ideally on the back of a flagship product because sometimes whenever you're launching something, instead of like leading with the brand, just be like, hey, here's the product that solves the problem that we have. We think you'll love it. So you're holding their hand, telling them where they need to start, right? And so as we look at some of the top DTC brands, you have Girlfriend Collective, they launched on the back of the most comfortable leggings. Bonobos, they launched on the back of the most comfortable work pant that's out there. Universal Standard, they launched on the back of 
the Geneva travel dress. It's the most comfortable dress for a woman of any size that you can actually wear on an airplane, but it looks fantastic, right? And what's nice is once you get people excited about this flagship product, then you can kind of do the land and expand type of model where you're giving them other products of equal quality, but that flagship product should solve a problem. It should be something that has a little bit of word of mouth um, excitement to it where people are wearing it, they're using it, and they want to tell their friends. Okay, so the third thing, I kind of tease this one, but it's, you know, ideally the best brands actually solve a real problem. So we talked about curology and going after acne. Ministry of Supply was attacking dress clothes for men, how they're uncomfortable, how you get sweat stains in your shirt. Uh, that's a real one. Um, feet, which is a D2C brand, they're actually going after feet and people that have issues there. Crayolescence went after hair growth and helping black women, you know, have a right product just for them. So the more you can go after a problem, better you're going to be to get people excited. All right, the fourth thing. This one's probably the most important, but is the easiest to overlook, but it's really knowing your persona. And ideally, you go after a persona that has really high intent to find a solution like yours. And this can be really hard because when you launch, you kind of want to be everything to everybody. You want to have this big market. But I would say do the opposite. Go much more niche, much more focused, right? And bonus points, if you can do a persona that has basically no price sensitivity and you have a product with a high repeat purchase rate, right? So like a beauty product as opposed to selling mattresses. One example that I've talked about a bunch on this podcast is Bala Shoes, where they make footwear specifically for nurses. You're like, oh, how big of a market could that be? I mean, they did seven figures in their first seven days. So you'd be surprised at these niches or these personas, how big they could be. So maybe it's taking a spin on a beauty brand or whatever that is and making it specifically for Indian women or whatever that would be. All right. The fifth thing. You've got to get the business model right. And what am I talking about this? So as you're looking at what brand or product you want to do, let's talk about the kind of holy grail for a business model for a DTC brand. So first, you want to have a high average order value, right? If you can get it over three figures or you know low, mid three figures, that's amazing. The second, high repeat purchase rate. Because you could have a high average order value, but if you're selling mattresses where they buy something once every seven years, Man, that's tough. You're always in the acquisition game trying to find new customers as opposed to turning your customers into repeat customers. The next thing, a low return rate. So if you're selling shoes, if you're selling clothes, you can have a high return rate, right? Like around 20%. But if you're selling something like a watch, again, if you're selling like a pomade or you know lip gloss, the return rate's extremely low. Also, if you can limit colorways and sizes, that helps as well because that also has an impact on your return rate. And then finally, bonus points if you can do a subscription model, something like Billy's Razors or Harry's. And if you can combine all of this, you've got something really special. So that's why something like Peloton has the insane valuation that they have. High average order value, low return rate. You're like, I want to box that thing up and send it back. And while you're not buying a bunch of bikes, they have a lot of upsells for accessories. So it's a high lifetime value and they actually have a subscription for their software. So they've really like crossed all these things off the list to have the perfect DTC brand. All right, the sixth thing, when you're launching, can you actually create a movement, right? So don't just sell a product, sell an aspiration. So some examples of this Everlane, they had the idea of radical transparency, showing you why their product costs, what it, what it costs and the entire supply chain and kind of lifting the curtain on that. Tom shoes, Bombas socks, they went after the movement of 
you know, with Tom's buy a pair, you give a pair to someone in need with Bombas. Every pair of socks you buy, they give it to a homeless shelter. So really leaning into the movement. And if you're looking to figure out what your brand stands for, there's a really cool study by Harvard Business Review and Bain, uh, the consulting arm around the elements of value. And I'll put this in the show notes. It talks about all the different ways you could position your brand. Because at the end of the day, you're not selling a product. You could be selling something that's functional, something that hits to an aspiration, something that's life-changing, something that's emotional, that re reduces anxiety or whatever that could be. But it's, it's a good study to help you frame how you think about your brand. All right, the seventh thing. This one's really hard, but if you do it, wow, you could have um, a, a big business on your hand. So it's creating a new category. And what that means is an example would be like Spanx. They created a category called shapewear. And what you do with your marketing, you don't actually sell Spanx. You sell the category and you educate people on it. So as you promote the category, you actually lift your brand because you're the owner of it. You're the thought leader. You're number one, right? And so whenever you're doing a category, instead of trying to tell people about it, you need to show them what that actually means. So with Spanx, with shapewear, they literally got to an eight-figure business on the back of two use cases. One was wearing shapewear so you can wear that silk dress as a woman and not feel you know, self-conscious because you're showing roles or something. And then also you could wear them um, and wear white pants and not have a panty line, right? It's literally two use cases that got them to the insane valuation. All right, number eight. This one is also when you're trying to make noise, but it's pick a fight with status quo or pick a fight with the incumbent, right? So it's so hard to get noticed. There's so many brands that are out there. How can you villainize what's out there, especially if it's a brand with a low NPS net promoter score, it's category that's been around forever that people are annoyed with? An example of this is Third Love. They are a women's undergarment brand. They actually went after Victoria's Secret and talked about like the models that they use. They talked about how the fit wasn't right. They actually took out an ad, I think, in the New York Times that was essentially a letter to Victoria's Secret about this. So this one can uh, be a high risk, high reward, but something that has worked. All right, number nine, build a community early, right? If you do this right, if you can build a community around your movement, around your cause, this can be a superpower because your community allows you to have a higher repeat purchase rate because they're more likely to buy again and again. They can help you with product development because they're going to be very vocal and tell you what they like and what they don't like. You can also mobilize them for big launches. So whether it's like you get some press or you have a new product that you're pushing, you can you know, kind of activate them to help you spread the word. You know, Crayolescence has their tribe. Glossier started as an editorial publication turned to a beauty brand. And Lululemon's been really big with their community and doing meetups for like yoga on the rooftop or yoga on the beach. All right, number 10, a cool product isn't enough. You really need to test activation tactics on your website. Right. So you can't just be like, I made a cool product. You know, if you build it, they will come and you're just going to be rolling in money because everybody's buying it. You have to experiment with how you educate people about it, how you activate people and how you convert. So what do I mean by that? So I mentioned third love. When you get to their website, they don't try and sell your product. They get you to take the fit finder quiz to find the right product for you. Same with beard brand. They activate you with the quiz, trying to understand what type of beard you have so they can funnel you to the right product. You know, Warby Parker was really big at pushing their home try-on program. So they sent you all the products for free because they knew a big issue with buying glasses online was you're like, crap, I don't know how I'm going to look in these. I'm, I'm not going to buy them. So if they would just give them to you for free, you could do that try-on experience. And then obviously Curology, they give you the product for free for that first month.
All right, number 11. Here we go. We're halfway through. How do you turn your customers into marketers in a frictionless way? So as you grow your brand, it does not get cheaper. It gets harder and harder to acquire people at a really efficient cost. But the way to kind of skirt that and work around that is if you can activate your customers to tell their friends, your cost to acquire people can drop significantly. So if you look at some of these success stories, they're the ones that did this really well. And what you do is you launch a referral mechanism that actually gets people's attention and gets people to invite their friends. So with Harry's, when they were launching, you know, they would actually give away uh, razors if you invited like five or 10 friends. They gave you a year supply if you invited 50 people. They got to a wait list of 100,000 with this one referral mechanism where people on average invited eight people. Girlfriend Collective, they would give away their $90 leggings if you were sharing this on social. They did it for a limited time, but they actually found that the cost to acquire people with their referral mechanism was cheaper than using paid acquisition. And you can use tools like Kickoff Labs, Viral Loops, or Smile to build these referral mechanisms. All right, number 12. Invest early in non-paid channels like organic. So as you start to grow and you get to half a million, a million dollars, what you're going to see is your ad spend might not be as efficient because you're reliant so much on it. But if you can diversify your traffic and start to get some of that organic traffic, and that's like people going to Google and typing in keywords around what you're doing or have YouTube content, if you can start to build that, you're going to be so happy you did it, right? Because whenever you're growing, you want to have the traffic you get from paid be less than 50%. So where are you getting the rest of it? And usually the one that can scale quite well is um, an SEO driven content strategy. And so brands like Honest Company, they're going for high uh, intent searches like or top of funnel searches like, hey, what is tociferol? And so when you type that in, they actually have a definition page that tells you what it is and talks about the products it's related to it that you might buy through Honest Company. You could also go with more middle of the funnel searches like with Beard Brand. You could type in, hey, what type of beard balm do I need for a long beard or for a thick beard or for a thin beard? And they rank for those searches. But here's the bummer about SEO-driven content. You can start that initiative today and you're not gonna see any results for like three, six, nine months. So when you're an early stage startup, you're like, crap, why am, am I investing my time in this? But you'll be so happy you did it a year down the road. And again, that could be blog content, that could be YouTube content, it could be building your backlinks. There's a lot of different ways to engineer organic traffic. All right, number 13. There was this really good article around, you know, your CAC doesn't matter, which means your cost, customer acquisition cost doesn't matter. And it's really about you know, focusing on retention. So if you have a brand where it's a high repeat purchase product, maybe it's not about always finding new customers, but reactivating your existing ones. So that means investing in your email strategy, your SMS tech strategy, your loyalty programs, your customer lifestyle marketing approach, because your lifetime value could be where you hit your sales goals with your existing customers as opposed to finding new ones. So I'll put a link to that article in the show notes, but it's, it's a good one. All right, 14. This idea of customer services marketing. So again, if you have a high repeat purchase product, if you can find ways for your customer service team to delight people, you're going to win a customer for life. So think about a time even when a brand messed up customer service and then they overcompensate and overdeliver, you actually end up falling in love with them, right? They're like, oh, we messed up your order. We're just going to send you another product for free. Keep both of them. Uh, Universal Standard has some really great success stories like that in the early days just by over-delivering to people. So Bonobos beefed up their customer service team, calling them ninjas, really glorified them and, you know, made customer service 
something that was always in the spotlight. Warby Parker used to make custom videos for people um, whenever they had questions. They'd, they'd even post them to YouTube. All right, 15. Build your growth strategy around seasonal dips and spikes. So this is a big one. So Rallygate, you look at your calendar for 12 months and if you're a traditional company, Q4 is going to be awesome. You're going to have a lot of demand for gifting season, for the holidays and whatnot. Q1 might be a little slow, right? People are not as much in the buyer's mindset. They've already wasted way too much money over the holidays, so they're in saving mode. So you know those two things. How do you engineer a content strategy for the year, a product launch strategy, a growth strategy for the year, knowing those things? And so whenever you're building out when you're going to launch a product, if you're doing like one per month, one per quarter, one per week, whenever you're doing partnerships, when you're doing like cool, crazy campaigns, when you're doing big promos, do it around these peaks and troughs that you have so you can maximize your sales. I mean, if you think about Amazon Prime Day, that's why it exists, because there was a lull in the summer and they wanted to engineer some way to get more sales. And it also times out pretty well being essentially six months away from the holidays, which is peak season. So they're able to engineer another time of year to really have a, a big sales quarter or sales month. And there's a really good piece of content um, around the idea of four peaks method where you have a huge peak. In Q4, you probably have a huge peak. Maybe it's if you're in the wedding space, it could be in the spring. So you have two peaks there. And then how do you engineer two other peaks throughout the year, which could be doing a big product launch or a big campaign or promo. But this is something that when I look at what separates the top brands from the ones that are kind of middle of the road, they're the ones that are relentless about engineering growth into their calendar. All right, 16, I'm not going to spend too much time on this because this could be a whole other podcast, but it's if you're running Facebook and Instagram ads, what do you do? I'm just going to hit on a few things. So if you're on Shopify and you have a catalog in Shopify, upload that into Facebook and anyone that goes to your website and abandons a product on the product detail page, retarget them with the catalog ad because it'll show that exact product they viewed and your conversion rate will go up significantly. As far as creative goes, when you're prospecting people, user-generated content, content from influencers, honestly, where they're like doing unboxing, they're showing how they use the product, when they use a the product, showing some of the details of it, that's a great way to get their attention. We've seen that the user-generated content can significantly outperform some of the really high professionally made e-commerce type of shots and videos. Whenever you're retargeting them to get them in that conversion mindset, using social proof, testimonials, how-tos, detailed product shots that show the quality of it, especially if you have a premium product, can help as well. And usually we're doing all of this with the uh, CBO campaign budget optimization framework, and we're optimizing the campaign for purchases. But um, some people might know what that means, some people don't, but I apologize either way. All right, 17, your Google ad strategy should be working in parallel with your Facebook ad strategy, right? So just some table stake stuff you need to be doing. You need to bid on your actual brand name, right? So if you're Ministry of Supply, bid on that keyword Ministry of Supply. It's annoying because you'd probably be getting that traffic, and that sales anyway, but it'll give you more real estate in the Google search and it'll allow other brands not to come in and take your brand name away from you. Set up your Google Shopping ads. These are um, the ads that when you search for something and you see those images at the top that are actually sponsored that a lot of people don't know, you'll be ranking for those. So if someone's like, hey, I want comfortable business pants, you know, Bonobos, Lululemon, Ministry Supply, they're owning that real estate up there. And then finally, do your keyword mapping. 
right? What that means is you can use various tools like SEMrush and Moz to type in keywords and see what the volume is for those searches, right? So with Bala, they could look for something like, hey, shoes for nurses, shoes for nurses, size eight, and see what the volume is. And then they can bid on those keywords, which could have a huge impact. All right, so there's a lot more to Google Ads, but those three things are, are pretty helpful. All right, number 18, we're approaching the finish line here. Don't reinvent the wheel with your tech stack. A lot of people want to get cute and do all these crazy fancy things out of the gate. Speed is the name of the game. Use Shopify for your text, for your website, and for your checkout. For email, use Klaviyo. For email capture, use Just Uno. For you know reviews, use Yapo. For referrals, look at Smile, look at Viral Loop, look at Kickoff Labs. Um, if you want to do some sort of a cool quiz style of onboarding, Outgrow is good. But yeah, start with those, and then once you hit seven figures, you can get fancy and do stuff custom. But um, start with that stuff out of the gate. I've seen too many horror stories where people get too cute up front. All right, number 19. This one's big. Know your unit economics, then scale. So what does that mean? simply like, what is your margin? What does it cost for you to buy a product? Include shipping, include an expected return rate, and then understand your profit. And then once you do that, also understand how long does it take for you to potentially close a customer? So that way, when you do ads, you know your profit and then your time to close. Then also, what is your average lifetime value, whether that's within a year or even 90 days? Because a lot of times you're bootstrapped when you're doing this. So looking at a year isn't realistic. you got to look at 90 days. And then as you're looking at your cost to acquire customers, look at it overall, blended, but also look at it per channel. Because what happens as you scale, when you just look at it blended, you don't see inefficiencies of, hey, the cost is going up on Facebook. It's going down on Google. Hey, on you know this partnership or podcast platform, it's actually going down. As you look at it per channel, it can be a little bit of a beast of an exercise but it really helps you be efficient with your spend. And then also looking at your revenue per email and how much money uh, email is giving you because um, email is, is usually the biggest lever you're driving for, for sales. All right, 20, to unlock growth, really invest in site optimization and CRO. So many times people spend tens of thousands of dollars on ads, but they won't spend a dime on optimizing your website, which is really confusing to me because you're sending all this great traffic to a poorly optimized website and I just don't get it. And that's why we focus in zero, not to make this a plug for us, but it's just, it's really how you, if you can take a convert rate from one to 2%, you're, you're basically doubling, you know, your sales. And so there's a lot of cool funnels out there. You can look at how they've been optimized and I'll put a link in there for uh, the funnel teardowns website that breaks those down. All right, 21. Your pre-launch strategy can give you an unfair advantage, right? If you look at some of these brands that have gone to have huge success, what have they done well? So Harry's, before they launched, built a wait list of 100,000 people, which set them up for success. A lot of brands launch on Kickstarter or Indiegogo, whether it's Bombas Socks, it's you know Gravity Blanket, it's Ministry of Supply doing those pre-sales. And then also just talking to customers. You know, I know Bala Shoes, they spoke to 500 nurses before they launched. So I know we're all trigger happy and just want to like put the thing out there. But if you can invest in building an audience, a community, an email list, build up, you know, a Rolodex of influencers, whenever you launch, you can make a huge splash, which sometimes can make or break it for you. All right. So the final thing, continue to learn everything I said right now, it could be stale in two days and something worth listening to this. 
But, you know, the industry changes so much. There's some really good platforms out there like 2PM by Whipsmith, you know, Forerunner Ventures, Common Thread, Mute6. I'll put links into there, but um, I'm kind of obsessed with these case studies to see what brands are doing well and not well. But hopefully this is helpful for, for anybody that's out there trying to start a, an e-commerce brand or D2C brand. And, you know, we, we've seen a few of these, you know, do some cool things. So these are some takeaways, but hopefully this is helpful. Would love to know what you think. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman. Today's episode is brought to you by no one. Yep, we have zero sponsors. I haven't reached out to any companies, nor would I expect a reputable brand to give me money, but I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out GrowthHit. GrowthHit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthIt has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthHit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of a hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman.